You're listening to Press Play OK, a deep dive behind the lives of your favorite local musicians. On this episode, we're sitting down with Davey Rumsey, the frontman of Tulsa band Tombs. Their music is inspired by horror movie scores, among other things, for an interesting sound that is best described as eerie indie rock. Support for this podcast comes from Musicians Haven, a nonprofit organization focused on providing opportunities for musical enjoyment. Based out of Claremore, Musicians Haven provides events like jam nights, vinyl nights, and intimate concerts. More information on Musicians Haven at musichaven.org or at facebook.com slash musicianshaveninc. Thanks for coming today. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we should dive right into Tombs, your band. You guys are kind of new, relatively. Getting into kind of the history, how did Tombs come to be? Well, the three of us have been best friends for over 10 years. Chris and I have been friends since we were in high school, and then Micah and I were roommates while we were in college for a while. The, th- the three of us, uh, we all really connected and clicked over horror movies. And so we would get together and have these like big horror movie events. We would each bring two horror movies a piece. And so we would do like six movies all together. We, we can't do that anymore. Nobody can stay awake that long. But back then we could. We all played in different projects and bands together over time. And so we would always joke and just say, we should, we should start a band because that would be fun, right? We should do that. We should give it a try. And we would talk about it and we would talk about it and we'd talk about it and nothing ever happened and then one day in 2018 we just said okay we're putting this day on the calendar and we're making it happen and so we all finally got into a room with instruments together and we walked out that day with the skeleton of our very 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 first song and since then it's been a musical journey it's almost like horror movies have taken the a back seat now all we do is play music we try to watch movies as much as possible, but uh, it's become more than we ever, I think, really thought or, or, or dreamed it would be, something really special and that I'm happy to be a part of with all of them, for sure. So movies seem to be a very integral part of the very beginning of Tombs. How would you say movies have influenced the music that you guys make? Horror movies are, are probably the biggest influence behind the band, period. You know, starting out, when we, were, we would watch horror movies together, we would always be fascinated by the scores. And so we would talk about, what if we got together and we, we made music like that? Or if we covered some of these classic horror movie scores, um, the score for Suspiria by Dario Argento's, hugely influential. Uh, John Carpenter scores all of his movies and his very synthesizer-based sounds. And so we try to take some of that feel and that vibe into our song, specifically with the synthesizer, trying to incorporate that element into songs or even basing an entire song built around a synth line or just the tiniest idea from that. Um, and even if we don't do that, we, we call it, we call the term eerie twang. So it's like, if the song is progressing in a certain way, how can we tilt it just a little bit 
to create um, some dissonance or some uncertainty uh, to some type of, I don't know, creepy or eerie, eerie vibe to the song. That's always kind of the, the goal. And then horror movie like aesthetics, um, the look and the feel that all goes into like visual representation and all the stuff that we release and put out. That's always kind of at the forefront of our mind. And plus, it just, it just makes it all so much more fun, I think. What is it about that kind of horror element and creepiness that really speaks to you guys? You know, we talk about the sense of watching a movie and experiencing a movie together, which is kind of interesting to talk about a year into the pandemic when crowds haven't really experienced movies together. I think there's something special that comes from that, experiencing a, a great film with a bunch of people and I think horror movies are amazing at creating that experience and so what I mean by experience is I'm not worried about what I'm going to do after this or I'm not worried about something that's coming up I'm not focused on my phone or anything else going on I'm just kind of here like present in the moment this movie is is gluing me to the moment and that really created a strong bond between the three of us that sense of togetherness, that sense of presence. It, it's kind of funny how something something as goofy or something like a horror movie can do that. But I think people feel that, you know, like being in the being in a theater for Avengers Endgame. Like that's an experience that people have. Um, people talk about like waiting in line and we saw the movie at midnight and the crowd went wild. Horror movies do that for the three of us. And so I think that that created a really special bond. And so we try to reflect that in the music as much as possible. Back in October, you guys threw on a live stream event. It was called Tales of the Macabre. How did you guys come up with that idea? So that idea really came from Chris, our bass player, and Hank Hanwinkle. Um, Hank is in the band Nuns. Chris plays Nuns. Fantastic band. It was really their baby. Um, and it was their idea to do an old school throwback, like a horror movie Halloween special that you would see on TV, complete with a host, um, and commercials and segments like working together. Um, I, you know, I think of like Tales of the Crypt or Alfred Hitchcock Presents or even even things like maybe Are You Afraid of the Dark? Joe Bob Briggs on TNT back in the 90s. Just creating like something that we don't really get on television anymore and something that would combine both of our bands in a really cool way. Because I think... We share a lot of the same values when it comes to how we approach our bands and what we're interested in and inspiration and all that stuff. So it was really Chris and Hank's baby. In fact, if you go back and watch it, the two hosts, uh, that's Chris and Hank in costume, in character, and they did an amazing job. And so we, we got together and we, we had a lot of really great friends help us make it. I feel like I got to experience it live like everybody else did. I mean, I knew what we played, I knew what nuns played, and I'd seen some of the commercials, but 
I got to see the whole thing live when everybody else did. Do you think you learned anything really important about doing that sort of streamed content? I think the thing for me is there's always that moment, like you can play a song live as many times and not really sweat it or think about it. But when you know that somebody has pressed the record button, that can create a certain amount of, of, of pressure. So I think just letting myself go, letting myself have fun, I think in the live stream world, which is another newer creation that we're living in right now, that's the thing that people are most interested in because you get a certain amount of access to a band that maybe you wouldn't if you just showed up to a regular show and you watched them over there on the stage. You know, in this kind of environment, it's almost like up close and personal, like in and out around the band. And so allowing yourself to be human, allowing yourself to, to, to feel free, and I think that creates a better, a better performance and a better watch uh, from the perspective of the viewer. So don't sweat it. Don't take it so hard on myself. Is there anything really important that you've learned so far from having live streams, distance shows, and things like that? I think, first of all, gratitude is huge. We are at the year mark of a complete shutdown, and so we, we didn't see each other for, goodness, I don't know. We didn't see each other for a long time, and we didn't practice. And so everything we did was through text message or Zoom calls. And I remember the first time that we got back together to just, to just play our songs, there was this really overwhelming sense of, man, I don't ever want to take this for granted again. And so you can get really caught up in the, uh, this is what we're doing, and we have this project coming up, and we need to make this song, or we need to release this song, or play this show. Um, and then there's just the joy of doing it. And so I think the first time we got back in the room after not being able to for so long, uh, it kind of took us back to the basics, like, ah, this is it right here. Just just being here with my best friends, making these songs that we love, playing these songs that we love. There's So there's the gratitude piece, um, letting that kind of be the thing that grounds it. And then also allowing maybe the constraint of not being able to get a bunch of people in a room, allowing that constraint to drive the creativity. That's been a thing that we've been fascinated by uh, from day one because there's three of us and all of us are doing multiple things except me I just play and sing but the guys do a lot of it <laughs> like Chris will play the synthesizer and and Micah's got all kinds of loops and pads and noises going on at the same time and so the the constraint of the three piece has driven a lot of creativity like how can we make more sound how can we make this a more fuller uh, a more fuller band with just the three of us. How can we pull this off? And so I think allowing the constraint of we can't get in a room and play with a bunch of people. Sometimes we can't even be around each other. So how can we still create? How can we still do this thing that we love? And so that's that's what I'd say. And being grateful for the thing, and then allowing allowing the constraint to create help you create something something new, maybe something surprising. And that, that happened with us. We, we released a single in the middle of it called Morning Spell. Um, and it was unlike anything we've ever done. Most of the time it's us getting in a room and making noise on instruments until we're interested in something. And this was like started off with the smallest synthesizer line and a text message. And then like I sang a little bit over it and we just bounced it back and forth, bounced back and forth. And then we just had all these like bits and pieces and then we took it and just pushed it all together and 
came out. And I was like, oh, wow, this is something new and cool and still feels like us. And so that right there is just an example of something we weren't planning, something we probably wouldn't have done if we were all together, but yet something that came out of not the best situation. You always cheer me up when I'm in the rest. Just let me be, put your head on my chest, healing inside this room. Heal by the light in you. We were something feet, we were holding hands, we were on the beach, our toes in the sand, eyes that were do you think that the pandemic has changed your creative process for the better maybe yes definitely learning to work together learning to uh, bounce ideas back and forth from each other when we're not in the room to hear each other's tone of voice or (laughs) to see one another that can always present a challenge. So I, I think it just pushed us to work even harder, to work even harder at building that that trust and that unity, even if something is trying to push it apart or it can't physically be together. How can we work to create a space where we're still together? The trust piece, I think, is huge too because, and just take that song Morning Spell, for instance, is like the smallest little bit that I did. And I sent it to him. I had really no idea how it would come out. And then it, was, it came back to me, and it's something I could never make on my own. And trusting the guys to make the best decision because we're all united on the same purpose. And that trust allow, uh, allows us to create things, I think, that none of us could make on our own. It seems like you guys have had to kind of amp up your communication abilities, mm-hmm. really had to just bring it together. Because it is harder to communicate that way. Like you said, you can't hear the tone of voice. Yeah. It, it's Things get lost in translation that way. So yeah. now um, I kind of want to go way back and talk about you a little bit. So oh, okay. when did you decide at first to pick up an instrument and start playing? When I was in second grade, I, I had my birthday party at the skating rink and... I don't remember anything else I got for my birthday, but I remember my grandma bought me an acoustic guitar. Uh, Shout out to grandma. She got the train on the track. And my parents put me in guitar lessons. And I remember going and not really thinking much of it. It was kind of just a thing that I I did. Sports really weren't working out for me either, so I thought I'd give this a try. After a little while, it was just fascinating to all of a sudden be like, oh, I can make this thing make some noise. (laughs) I can maybe take a song that I've heard and loved and I can translate that to the guitar. And so that was the beginning for me. Now I say that I've played the guitar since I was in second grade. It doesn't sound like I've played the guitar since I was in second grade, but it's the instrument that I'm most comfortable with for sure. Uh, And then I started singing in high school. I didn't sing until maybe I was a junior or a senior. And I remember my youth pastor was just like, hey man, I need you to lead us in songs next week. And I was like, I don't know if I can sing. And he said, I think you can. You should try. And so there's another shout out to my good friend, Brian. But uh, I tried it that next week and that started my journey with singing. So yeah, it's always been, it's always been guitar and vocals that have been the, my instruments of choice. Do you have any musicians in the family that made you choose those? I don't. Really? I don't. Yeah. Uh, My sibling, my, my siblings 
both play piano and my brother plays trombone and trumpet and a, and a bunch of things. But yeah, other than them, that's it. I'm kind of like a wild card when it comes to that. When you were first starting out on guitar, what artists do you think you were looking to, to at least try to emulate when you were younger? The first songs that I really learned on guitar were, were the Beatles. My guitar teacher taught me a lot of Beatles stuff. The classics, especially early Beatles like Can't Buy Me Love. My first three kind of musical influences were Elvis Presley, my grandma, another shout out to grandma, played me Elvis when I was a little boy. Cause that's the first type of music that I remember loving is Elvis and she would always play him on the piano too in her house. So Elvis and then the Beatles because that's some of the first stuff I learned on guitar and then Michael Jackson. I think there's more horror influence there too because the thriller music video was was huge for me. Later on, as you were reaching kind of like adolescence, adulthood, like you said, in high school, that's when you started singing. Were there any artists you were looking to then specifically? Yeah, when I first started singing, I just wanted to be Tom York. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't, right? I don't know how that translated to what I was being asked to do on Wednesday nights, but that's what I wanted to do. So Tom York was uh, was one of the first ones. Um, there's a band called Copeland, um, Aaron Marsh does amazing things with his voice. Um, and then there's another band, Pedro the Lion, David Bazan. I mean, to this day, I think he has one of the most earnest voices. Something about it is, is just anything he's singing about. It doesn't matter. It could be about nothing, and it would it would seem like it's everything just by the way he, he carries himself and, and delivers. So those are some ones that I think I, I definitely had in my mind when I first started singing. And that, honestly, I, I carry with me today. So how do you think that you implement their style into what you do? I think with the Copeland stuff, when I, was, uh, when I was first learning to sing, I would specifically work on my falsetto because that guy's falsetto is just unbelievable. So I feel like I really got to develop my sense of falsetto from him. I think just the raw power and the earnestness comes from Bazan, like trying to... I think everything is as passionate and as earnest and as real as possible. And so those were those were kind of early inspirations, and, and I carry them with me today. And then through, honestly, a lot of vocal coaching, I feel like I was able to dig in and actually really find where that is in me. So integrates that stuff in a, in a more natural way as opposed to me just trying to rip them off. I don't know, someone may listen and think I'm trying to rip them off and that's okay, but. <laughs> so um, you've mentioned that you did vocal coaching, which I find really interesting. Mm -hmm. What is one really important thing that you learned that you still carry with you? Probably the most important thing is trusting yourself, trusting myself. So that is a head game. That's a mental thing. Um creating thought patterns or working in a mindset where I'm really, I, I know what I'm going to do and I know how I'm going to do it and I can count on that every single time. So really just creating a, like a strong, like strong mental toughness when it comes to singing because your voice is an instrument, but unlike a, you know, an inanimate object, it's a part of you. <laughs> and so it can change. It doesn't feel great on certain days, but being able to trust and my ability to trust that I've put the work in, to trust what I can do, to know what I can't do, those things really help me to kind of work in my strengths. So that way each time I step up to sing, I know 
I know exactly what I'm going to do and I know exactly how I'm going to do it. And so that gives me a lot of confidence. And then there's the work part of it. Breath support is huge. I have a whole like breathing routine. The guys hear it. There's really weird noises like people probably heard all that stuff all the time but I mean living and dying by that stuff it's almost like the ritual and the practice and the routine helps me get there physically and it also shapes my my mental game so really living and dying by that stuff by breath support knowing where to place notes trusting that I've done this before and so I'll be able to do it again kind of all those things combined really help I say that like I have singing figured out and I don't I'm still learning learning all the time, but those those things have really helped me figure out my voice and what I can do. And I think that for for any singer, when you tap into what you can do, what your voice specifically can create, at that point you've tapped into a confidence that is unshakable. And then you're really you're really kind of cooking with oil there. What do you think that you do to try and to boost your confidence? What are some thoughts that come to mind? Uh, mantras. I have a lot of mantras. Some of them are like uh, one. Of, one of them is just I'm I'm rooted and grounded in love. Is actually one that I like to say. Kind of places me in something bigger, and it's a very calming thing, and it helps ground and center me in the moment. Which to me is what this is all about: operating from that sense of grounding and centeredness. And music helps me do that more than anything being with my best friends and creating this music and creating this experience, letting that come from that grounded place and that shuts all the, the head games out. And then I feel like I'm operating in the, I don't know, the, the sweet spot. So rooted and grounded in love. I mean, that's something I, I say all the time, but certainly before I sing or perform, like just tr- trusting in my, my past experience. I'll think about times like, you remember that time when, you're really sick and yet you still got up and did it. I'm like, if I could do, if I could do it, then I can do it now. Um, just these little, almost like mental games or tricks to kind of trick myself into it over time that builds up almost like musculature. So it's just kind of like old, old tricks that I turn back to. So yeah, that's a few. On the subject of vocalists that you were inspired by kind Mm -hmm. of a throwback to an earlier topic, but what are some like dream vocalists you would love to collaborate with? Well, I love Dave Bazan from Pedro the Lion. That would be amazing to collaborate with him. Ginny Lewis is another one mm. that I love. Uh, Phoebe Bridger's vocal spot on a Tombs album would be would be awesome. And then Julian Baker, I love her too. Her new album is really great. Those are some. Those are just people off the top of my head that I'm listening to a lot that I would love love to sing with or collaborate with. think are some qualities that make somebody a really good musician you know i i think serving the song playing the thing that the song needs is probably the greatest attribute i think about nels klein 
he's the guitar player for Wilco. I mean, and Nels can play anything. I think he's changed. I think he's changing the way the guitar is being played. The guy is unbelievable. I've seen Wilco like five or six times, and each time that the noises that come out of his amp, sometimes it sounds like a jet is taking off in the venue. Like he's just unbelievable. But most of the time, he's just like laid back in the pocket, playing the part, serving the song. I read an interview where Jeff Tweedy said like he has to beg Nels to shred sometimes. Like he has to like beg him to cut loose. And he, he often doesn't want to do it. And so that's where that's where my mind goes. Guys like him that can really like step out and show you what they're made of, but most of the time prefer to stay within the pocket of the song and really serve the song. So I think Nels Klein is an amazing he's probably my favorite example of that. One of my favorite guitar players. Um, it doesn't sound like that if you listen to a lot of Tomb stuff. Maybe some of like the weird noises part of it, but just like really serving the song and maybe doing things that are, that just tilt it a little way. Like I said er, earlier, the, the eerie twang. I think Nails does a lot of that. In the bonus episode, I'll have to tell you the story about the time that Micah and I met Nels, and it was really weird. Mm. Really weird. Or I could just tell you now. What's up with Nels? <laughs> so we, uh, Micah, he plays drums and tombs. We saw Wilco at uh, Brady Theater, Tulsa Theater now. And um, our friends gave us VIP passes. I said, oh, this is cool. We're going to meet the band. And after the show, they had us wait down in the pit area. And then they took us up. There was just a few of us, a handful of people. And they took us up into this cafeteria I mean, it was no, no bigger than this room, kind of. And there was, like, some snacks and drinks out, so we, like, got a drink, and we were standing there waiting, and then one by one, the members of Wilco just start kind of, like, walking in the room. And it becomes very apparent that everybody in this room is, like, personal friends with the members of Wilco. They, like, know them. And there's reunions happening in front of us, like, Micah and I are standing in the corner of the room. And we're like, oh, no, we don't need to be here. And so I'm like, dude, we, let's just get out. Let's go. And I'm walking out, and Nels Klein is standing right there. And I, I'm like, I, I have to at least like shake his hand and, and say hi. So I'm walking out, and I, as, as I walk by him, I just say, hey, Nels, you know, thanks for coming to Tulsa. The show was great. You know, shakes my hand. He's very gracious, very kind. And I say, question, do you guys know? everybody in this room and he says oh no no I, I i don't know everybody here but that is my good friend that i haven't seen in five years and then he patted me on the back and walked past me and i looked at mike and i said all right roll we've got to get out of here nels klein just snubbed us <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah we walked out we walked out so that's the time that we crashed wilco's like friend reunion party in tulsa so in your defense you didn't know I, I, yeah, I had no idea what I was walking into. It's just like backstage passes. Cool. I'll, I'll take them. Don't, that's the lesson here. Don't take them. Don't meet your heroes, kids. You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think a lot of people have stories like that. He was, he was a wonderful guy. It was just a really awkward situation. What do you, what do you do besides music? Do you have any hobbies? I teach. I'm an English teacher. So that, <laughs> that takes up a lot of my uh, time and mental capacity. I love it. This is actually my first year teaching. Um, and I do really, really love it. Uh, it is a lot of fun. 
Outside of that, my wife and I love to we love to run. I love obviously movies. I am avid Stephen King reader. This is a newer development. This is my three year anniversary of reading Stephen King. So I've I've just been devouring Stephen King book after Stephen King book. That has been like one of my one of my favorite things to do just after school on my back patio, diving into a good I don't know. He doesn't write a book that's over that's under 500 pages so that's been a lot of fun and i have a lot of friends that are into stephen king too so kind of it's almost like constant book club has been been really cool and then always getting together and watching horror movies with the guys have you read the dark tower series i have have you i burned all through all seven of them in a summer one how did you feel about it i felt a loss when i finished reading it which was strange i don't Uh, think i've experienced something like that before i mean that's the thing like you spend so much time, I mean, in The Dark Tower, I mean, that's thousands and thousands of pages. But even like the biggest Stephen King book, like The Stand or It, you've finished that thing and you've spent so much time with those characters that I think a loss is a really good word for it. It kind of takes a piece of you. That's the, that's the joy of it. And that is our plug for reading Stephen King, everybody. <laughs> Check out the Dark Tower series. Just in case they needed it. <laughs> if nobody has talked to you about Stephen King yeah. before. Have you ever heard of him? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram, Tombs was working on new stuff mm-hmm. I saw. So what should people be keeping their eyes peeled for? I mean, keep your eyes peeled for anything. Anything can happen. But um, we don't really have anything lined up and ready to release just yet. But... I will say that we are in the beginning stages of uh, putting an album together. In 2019, when we played our first show, we said our goal is to just like fill 25 minutes of stage time. Just 25 minutes, that's it. And now there's enough material for an album. So that's really exciting. And it's really exciting to talk about that and start taking steps to make that happen.